So uh, <clears throat> most of you uh, probably know that DJ and I have chickens in our yard. Uh, when Hot Springs uh, passed the ordinance allowing uh, for laying hens inside the city limits, I was second in line at City Hall to, to uh, get my permit to do that. You know, I've always had this uh, what you, a little dream of what you might call having a hobby farm someday, just, you know, little stuff. And so far, chickens is as close as I've gotten to that. But, uh, and, you know, in spite of the extra work it is, we, we have a lot of fun with them and we love the fresh eggs. But this past Wednesday, uh, three of my hens escaped the, uh, the fenced-in chicken run. And it was getting close to dusk, so I knew, you know, they'd be working their way back to the coop soon. So, so I left the two gates wide open to the chicken run uh, so that they could easily get back inside the run and then, therefore, into the coop. And uh, <clears throat> I'm no expert. I haven't uh, done any particular studies on this or anything like that, but so far what I've, I, I have observed is that chickens are really stupid. Um, you know, I, I, I've actually heard that they're supposed to be smart birds and you can train them and so, far, uh, so forth, but uh, my experience is they're pretty stupid. So uh, I went out after dark to see if they had made it back in the coop, and no, none of the three had. So I went uh, searching, found two of them huddled together, looking through the fence at the coop, uh, waiting there, about eight feet away from the wide open gates uh, to, to let them in. And so I went and picked them up one at a time and carried them around, put them in the coop. They seemed to really appreciate that. Uh, the third one uh, took a little bit more searching, and I finally found it in the doghouse, uh, hiding there. And I assumed that she would also appreciate being picked up and put into the coop. But boy, was I wrong. As soon as I reached for her, she went bonkers. She went squawking and flapping all over, pecking at my hand and my face as I'm down there in the doghouse trying to get this out and and just making a complete nuisance of herself. And, and, And why would she do that? I was only trying to help right? It would be dangerous for her to stay outside at ground level uh, with no protection but a, but a wide open doghouse. Uh, and, and the dog doesn't sleep out there. The dog sleeps in, in, inside. So there was, there was no protection for her. But see, she did what she did because she completely misjudged my motives. She thought that I was going to get her, that I was attacking her, when really I was just wanting to help. Now, you know, having a chicken judge me (laughs) by assigning bad motives to my heart, you know, that's one thing. I, I, I can live with that fairly easily. But you know what? It kind of hurts when people do that, doesn't it? And that's the situation that the Apostle Paul was facing in the verses that we get to today. I mean, have you ever had someone be completely wrong about you, your motives, assigning a bad motive to your actions, but truly they were way off base? Well, you're not the only one that's had to deal with that, and we're going to see how the Apostle Paul handled that in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're looking at verses 12 through 22. Follow along as I say, uh, read them out loud. It says this, 
for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in this world and especially toward you. For we write nothing else to you other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing, that is, to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you, and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I propose, do I propose according to the flesh? So that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Sylvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in Him. For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore, also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now to Him who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Father God, again, we just thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship this morning, and we just pray as we look into your word, God, that you would speak to us, strengthen, challenge, encourage. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So throughout 2 Corinthians, there's actually several passages where we find that the Apostle Paul was defending himself or giving some type of rebuttal to some charges that were being laid against him. And by piecing together Paul's arguments in this book uh, and, and the defenses, we get a pretty good uh, picture of what those charges were. Um, we know that the Apostle Paul, during his second missionary journey, had traveled to Corinth to spread the gospel there. And as was his habit, he first went to the Jewish synagogue and preached there, but found great resistance there, and and they became hostile towards him. And so as a result, Paul uh, turned his attention toward the Gentiles. And this, of course, uh, created an even greater animosity amongst the Jews. And then the leader of the synagogue there in, in Corinth actually converted and became a Christ follower, and uh, we can safely assume when that happened that the anger of the Jews was ramped up even several more notches, and, and, and the resistance became more fierce. And we don't know, they, Paul never describes exactly what that uh, resistance was towards him, but it had to be something fairly strong, fairly bad, because Paul was afraid. I mean, think of this, all the things he faced, but here he was scared. 
Fortunately, God came in and, and encouraged Paul directly. I mean, you can read this whole account in, in Acts chapter 18, but here's what God said to Paul. He said, And the Lord said to Paul in, in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. So, I mean, he got this personal word of encouragement. And so with that assurance, Paul settled down there in Corinth and he spent the next 18 months spreading the gospel around that town. Now, that's a lot longer than he normally stayed in any one position. So he got to know these people. They were his church family, as, as, as Ken was sharing this morning. They had these good relationships going on. But sometime shortly after Paul then left to continue his missionary journey, uh, some other people came in, some false teachers calling themselves apostles, uh, they showed up at the church and started causing problems. In order to elevate their own standing and their own status and, and in order to create a platform from which to uh, teach with supposed authority, their first mission seems to have been to tear down and assault the character of the Apostle Paul. I mean, after all, if they wanted people to follow them and what they were saying, their false teachings, well, then they first had to convince the church to turn away from Paul and the things that he had taught them. And from our passage this morning, we get some clues as to exactly what they were using and how they were trying to discredit him. See, apparently, they were claiming that Paul could not be trusted, he could not be counted on because he was not a man of his word. And if he's not a man of his word, well, therefore, his motives must be suspect, if not outright bad. And they were saying that, you know, at least according to them, that would mean his words, everything he, he said personally or that he taught about God could also not be trusted. After all, if Paul's not faithful in his actions, how could he be faithful in his words? So, what these false teachers were doing uh, to build this case against him, I, I think, uh, becomes clear as we look at Paul's answer to it. And, and here's how he answers the charge, uh, or, or we get the main clue of what they were saying from this. He says, uh, you know, what, what exactly, what were they saying about Paul that... that made them say he's untrue to his word, he's unfaithful, he's, he's not a man of his word. Well, we get the clue in, in verse 15 when it says, in this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. See, Paul had written an earlier letter to the Corinthians, um, and uh, in 1 Corinthians we see where he, he wrote about his plans to come back and visit them. In fact, he was going to come back twice. He was going to visit them on his way through to Macedonia and then on his return uh, trip uh, to Macedonia. That's what he means, a twice blessing, as we read earlier in, in the passage. But as he was going to go on and explain a little later, and we'll look at it next week, uh, he chose to change his travels plans. 
And we find out from Acts and other passages that one of the reasons that he wanted to change his plans was he had a strong desire to get to Jerusalem by a a particular time. So he decided to forego this first visit to Corinth, the one on the way there, instead just visit them on the way back. And that, that minor change of plans is what the false teachers jumped on to begin assassinating Paul's character. They claim that he was vacillating, that he was flip-flopping like the worst politician or like some smarmy used camel salesman. He was, you know, just saying what you wanted to hear, but there was no truth or validity behind his words. They were accusing him of being fickle and untrustworthy. And apparently with some success in the church, they were convincing the church members that, you know, if you can't believe Paul and his travel uh, plans, well, then you can't believe his theology. So how did Paul respond to that uh, accusation and that, that character assassination? Well, that's verse 12. For our proud confidence is this. Here's how we're answering you, this. The testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in this world and especially towards you. What's he saying there? Well, simply this. He can say with a very clear conscience, in all sincerity, he says, that their dealings, Paul's dealings with them, were conducted in holiness and in the grace of God, not, as these false teachers were saying, uh, in conniving manipulation from just a man's point of view. To say he conducted himself with holiness means that he was upright and true in all of his dealings, even though he had, in fact, changed his plans. Because he changed plans do not necessarily equate to impure motives. I mean, that's what he was trying to explain in verse 17 when he says, therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I propose or purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? See, the the fact is sometimes uh, changes happen. And that doesn't mean we were being untrue to our word. It just means as humans, we make our plans with limited knowledge and, 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 and limited understanding. And we make them with the best of intentions, but sometimes circumstances change or even our understanding of a situation changes, and therefore that would affect our plans. The point is, he said, I'm not, I didn't purposely say one thing, and then do another. That's what they were accusing him of. I didn't purposely do that. But now here's where his argument takes a a, a strong turn. Look at verse 18. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. Now we have to think about that statement for a little bit because it's a pretty strong statement. Basically, he is saying there that because God has proved himself faithful to Paul, therefore then Paul must be faithful in his dealings with others. That, that's the argument that he's using there. So think about what that means for Paul and, and for all of us. He's saying that as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, He is developing in his own life the characteristics of God. What is true of God must also be true of us. Since God is faithful, 
then I will be faithful in my dealings with other people as well. Now, that's one thing to say, right? But much harder to do. How is it that we actually develop this godly characteristic in our lives? How is it that we imitate God, that we become like God, which the Scriptures over and over tell us to do? Do we just grit our teeth and try harder? Do we make promises to ourselves? Well, I'm never going to do that again. Or I'm going to start doing this more and more. I'm going to be better at doing this. You know, those, those seem to be the, the common methods, but they're not very good. I mean, I don't know about you, but my willpower has never been strong enough to create lasting and successful change in my life. Especially living in a messy world where there are so many things that can trip me up or get me off track. Fortunately, God has a better way for us than just gritting your teeth and trying harder. And that's where verse 20 comes in. Look at that. For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore, also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. So uh, there's a lot to unpack in that verse uh, concerning uh, Christian living. But you'll notice right away, not once does it say, try harder. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. Uh, there is a place for effort and, and, and hard work in, in the Christian life. The Apostle Paul, he's frequently spoke about striving and struggling and laboring, but those were always in connection with doing ministry. And anybody that has committed, you know, to teaching a class or leading a project or planning an event or helping in any particular ministry in any way, I mean, you know, it takes a lot of dedicated work. But when it comes to developing the character of God in our lives. God has another way to do that. So let's take a closer look at this verse here. There are two key phrases in this verse, and they're easy to miss with just a casual reading because they're both just uh, innocuous uh, prepositional phrases. It's in Him and through Him. So, of course, the first question we have to answer is, well, who's the Him it's talking about, right? And to answer that, we have to go back to verse 19, which says, For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me, Sylvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in Him. So the Him is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, obviously, we all know, oh, Jesus is important. Yeah, we, we know you have to put your faith in Jesus in order to be saved by trusting in Him in, in the work that He accomplished on the cross. Your sins can be forgiven and you are given eternal life. That's the awesome good news that the Apostle Paul was spreading and that we have the opportunity to spread with our family and friends and neighbors and, and, and community. But, but we need to understand Jesus is just as important for living and growing as a Christian 
as He is for us in becoming a Christian. And that's what Paul was dwelling on here in verse 20. Uh, it explains how that works for us. Look, look at the first half of the verse. For as many as are the promises of God in Him, in Jesus, they are yes. What that means is that every promise that God has ever made finds its fulfillment and its implementation or its working out in or through Jesus. Every promise in Jesus is yes. Every promise that you can think of in the Word of God. Let's just look at a few examples to see this. How about the promise that God loves you? How would you ever know that apart from Jesus? I mean, after all, is not God's love shown to us through a place called Calvary? The Apostle John said this, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We know love because God sent Jesus to pay for our sins. The absolute certainty of God's love for us, for you, was demonstrated at the cross. So the promise that God indeed loves you is a yes in Jesus. Or how about forgiveness? It's possible there could be some here this morning who struggle with accepting God's forgiveness when He promises to forgive us. I mean, yeah, you can believe that He, you know, can forgive everybody else, but you have a hard time receiving it for yourself. You think that maybe your sins are too bad or too shameful or too deep for God. So can God, or actually more importantly, would God really forgive you? And once again, the answer to that is yes in Jesus Christ. Every promise of God is yes in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 7 proclaims to us, in Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So now if you really struggle with this idea that can God, does God forgive me, truly forgive me? Well, then I would challenge you to just do a little study. Try to plumb the depths of the riches of His grace. Because that's what it says He forgives you by, the according there. Is there enough richness in His grace for your sins, every single one of them? Again, the answer in Jesus is what? Yes. Yes. Romans 5.20 says, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Let's look at one other. God promises us a future. Mr. Henningsen read the verses from Jeremiah 29.11-13 through 13, where he says, To give you a future and a hope. But all around us we see ruin, destruction, death, and people telling us that, oh, nobody can really know what's going to happen after you die. So can those promises of God be true? 
Well, in Jesus, the answer is an emphatic yes. I mean, Jesus brings us tremendous assurance when he tells the weeping and mourning Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And because this is such an important area, he encouraged his disciples even more. And in John 14, he went on and told them, in my father's house are many dwelling places, right? If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Does God's promise of a future ring true? It's a yes in Jesus. For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. We could go on and on, but you you get the point. But the verse doesn't end there. It goes on to say, therefore also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now, we usually think of amen as simply the proper way to end a prayer. But it has a meaning. I was glad Mr. Henningsen had us as a congregation answer amen at the end of the prayer today. Or George, during the middle of a song, at a particular line said amen to that line. Because, see, there's a meaning to that word. And and it literally means, so be it. So be it. That's what the word amen means. It was a way and is a way of emphatically agreeing that this is the way it is. Amen is an affirmation of the truthfulness of a statement. So what this verse is telling us here then is is that uh, it is only possible for us to say the amen through Jesus Christ. We can only through Him give a right and true affirmation to the promises of God. Because it, notice it says it's through Him that we can say the Amen. You see, anybody could mentally uh, understand the promises of God. You, go, you could go up to a non-Christian and say, hey, you know, God promises to never leave, you or for, uh, leave us or forsake us. And he goes, yeah, I can understand what that means. And, and even a non-Christian could, you know, affirm that, you know, I, you know, that'd be okay for you, right? But it is only by Jesus Christ working inside your heart that these promises of God can take hold of your life, can grip your heart so that they actually begin to transform your life. Because that's what it means when it says through Him, through Jesus, we give the amen. We're giving the affirmation that this is the way it is. So a question for all of us. Have you come to a point where like the Apostle Paul, you can say with absolute certainty, I believe every promise of God is yes in Jesus Christ. Every promise of God is yes in Jesus Christ. And since Jesus is mine and and living in my life, well then that means I can live my life, which, you know, make my decisions, my my choices, uh, order my actions, my reactions to people based off all these promises that God has given me. That's what it means to give the amen to God's promises through Jesus Christ. So when we have that internal, 
spiritual conviction of the truthfulness of God's promises, it does begin to change our life. The character of God begins to develop in us. So if you wanted to put it into some simple formula to remember, it works like this. When God gives us His Word, His promise, and it's confirmed as yes and true by Jesus Christ, and my heart says the amen to that promise, then the character of God by the power of the Holy Spirit begins to be implanted in my life based on that promise. So Paul can be faithful because God is faithful. We can be faithful because God is faithful. And think about it. What would be a sheer impossibility for me to change in my own life through, you know, good intentions or willpower or gritting my teeth and trying harder, you know, like uh, a deep issue of, of, of rooted anger in my life or insecurity or, or lust or unloving heart or whatever the issue might be, whatever would be a sheer impossibility for me to change, God changes through the work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we trust His promises. Isn't that awesome? That's what verse 21 and 22 were trying to confirm us. Now, He who establishes us is God. It's God who established. It's God who made Paul faithful. He who establishes us is us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. It is God doing this work through Christ in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's awesome, isn't it? Because I am so glad it's not up to me to just keep trying harder because I can't do it. I can't. Now, can we cooperate with God? Oh, most certainly we can in this work. So maybe there's a particular area in your life that you recognize as a weakness, as a habit that is outside the way that you know God would want you to think or act. Instead of trying harder, gritting your teeth in some effort to change, try this. Search the Bible. Search it for any and all of God's promises related to that particular area of, your, uh, of, of struggle. Read them. Learn them. Study them. Memorize them. But most importantly, start praying them. Ask God through Jesus that your heart would be gripped by them and be able to give the amen to those promises. That you would come to the absolute conviction that they are completely true and that Jesus would grip your heart with the power of them. And then ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would begin to transform your life so that you can live based on the truth of those promises. And you know what? That's a prayer that God will answer because He says that's what He will do. So see, it really doesn't matter what someone else might think our motives are. 
If you know that the character of God is being implanted in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, then like Paul, you'll be able to say with sincerity of conscience and integrity, I have acted towards others. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we are thankful for your word again. We are so thankful that it is not up to us to have to try to live the Christian life. Yes, you do call us uh, to things. You, you show us the way, but you are the one who empowers and strengthens and makes it possible. So God, may we live today according to your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.